David, new vaccine, new president. What's going to be more impactful against COVID-19? John, it's going to be a powerful combination therapy. One, two, pow. Welcome to Care Talk, your humble home for incisive debate about healthcare business and policy. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentrics. Well, John, the president of Health Business Group isn't changing, but the president of the United States is. And I know COVID-19 is going to be the top, top issue for Biden in healthcare, but what, what else is there? Well, thank you for recognizing the obvious 300 plus electoral vote, 5 million uh, vote plurality that uh, a majority that- uh, he, wanted, he, he won in a mudslide, John. Yeah, no, it's uh, they're going to call him landslide Joe. Yeah, um, you know, I think I think that that one of the most interesting things about the the COVID conversation because they're clearly COVID nineteen is job one, and I think you'll see competence and science back. I know that might be jarring for you, David, uh, but one of the things I think we they've got to start talking more about is testing asymptomatics. I mean, we've got a lot of uh, un, uncontrolled spread. In the most recent study of the Citadel, where you've really got not only uh, a, 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 a perfect population in containment, you know, a bunch of Marine-oriented young cadets, but they are in kind of a vaguely military situation in college, and 90% of the spread, because they could test everyone, was asymptomatics. And I, I don't think we're talking enough about that. And I think that's, you know, we've talked about testing before. That's one thing I'm hoping the Biden task force will take on. Well, John, there is a quite interesting task force that you mentioned, this coronavirus task force. I mean, what's what's notable about it? Any any contrast or just sort of more of the same? Because they had a there's some sort of coronavirus task force under the uh, the current administration. Well, I, I think the members of the coronavirus task force in the current administration, many of them are talent, Dr. Burks, Dr. Fauci, but it's not a task force that's been meeting with the president. The, 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 city, the current president has not even met with them in months, and the White House has really shut down. You notice that there is already new CDC guidelines about multiple layer masks, and they're starting to release. They've been sitting on all this research. Now, I think what's remarkable about the, 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 the Biden COVID task force is the range of talent on it, whether you're talking about you know, former Commissioner Dr. David Kessler or Dr. Vivek Murphy, former Surgeon General, or you get to to the to our 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 former guest Zeke Emanuel and Celine Gounder and uh, Dr. Uh, uh, um, uh, Marcella Nunez Smith, um, Dr. Atul Gwandi. The what jumps out at you is all of the academic talent, the medical background, and the variety of complementary backgrounds. I mean, it, it could be intimidating even for you, David. Yeah, John. Uh, don't say that. I think actually Zeke Emanuel got on the task force based on his tryout being on our show. So I'm feeling pretty good about it. But, you know, they've actually, the change of tone is, as actually Zeke said, is already evident. And then their priorities are clear. Testing, uh, doing the personal protective equipment, coordinating that at a national level, allowing the CDC to get back on its footing, protecting vulnerable populations and encouraging mask use. And they've also, one person you didn't mention, Another bright spot is uh, Rick Bright, who got fired by Trump for speaking his mind on vaccine development. You know, and he's on the, he's on the task force, so it's uh, all good things, I think. Yeah, I think what, one of the most important things. I mean, this has always been a, a the, the current national strategy has always been a one legged stool of 
vaccines now, vaccines soon, vaccines forever. Uh, we, we really do need a balance between invest, federal leadership in investment in therapeutics, federal leadership um, and demand for testing, and federal leadership and demand for vaccines. And the only thing we fulfilled is that demand and vaccine. But let's give your guy some uh, some credit here, uh, uh, David. I mean, it looks like we actually have some pretty good results from at least the first early measures of vaccine effectiveness for the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine. John, there's good news on the vaccine front. And as we talked about, the challenge is going to come after that with how do you distribute these icy cold vaccines uh, and make sure that they get to the to the right people. But it actually is good news that the vaccines are approved as soon as they have been or that the results are there as soon as they have been. And also it's good news that they've come after election day because that's actually going to enhance the trust uh, that the right kind of policies were were followed and the regulators did the right thing and the companies did the right thing and didn't try to push for expedited approval to help Mr. President. Well, you're, you know, your friends, the drug people, um, they've really delivered here in terms of vaccines. And I think we could be, much as it, uh, much as it pains me to, to admit, really in a new golden age. I mean, we've really engineered these vaccines, leveraging technology. I mean, look, looking at the, uh, the RMNA targeted drug approach that two-thirds of the vaccine developers are using – uh, Dr. Fauci validated it, and what it what it is is we're really designing little vaccine factories to trigger very specific and in some ways automatic responses to um, to sort of the viral viral invaders. But that same technology had been abandoned by many biotech ma- ma- uh, providers. Uh, can also be a- a targeted at cancer cells. And so we could be, when you combine the dollars with the leadership, with all of the work that's going to be done around this globally in a really a new golden age for biopharma. Well, John, I can't figure out, you know, whether to think about like the golden age back in Spain, or were you talking about the golden child, which I think was like these Eddie Murphy uh, <laughs> movies from some time back. I think this is like, this is a, this is as big a deal as, as the response post Sputnik that revolutionized our military industrial base, not just around defense, but around computing, uh, uh, investment in communications, all that telecommunications and computer stuff that happened when you were a young man, David. Yeah. Um, you know, post Sputnik in the 50s and 60s, um, when America invested in science and technology, I think that could be, and that created the foundation for our dominance and leadership in, in, in tech could be the same in terms of biopharma for the U.S. I think it's a pretty remarkable time. Well, John, I think my development is a lot of it is due to Tang instant breakfast uh, drink that uh, was was pioneered as well what by NASA. NASA. I, I, th- I think you're I think you're right, John. Um, you know, let's 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 move away from the golden age into the into the present moment and some of the darkness that we've actually just uh, experienced. You know, and one of the things that you saw was Trump actually didn't have any legislative accomplishments, and yet. Uh, didn't repeal Obamacare or replace it. And yet the uninsured rate went up from 11% in 2016 when he was elected to 14% in 2019, even during, uh, you know, continued uh, economic boom. And so that means that these executive orders um, and administrative actions have had a lot to do with that. So with a divided Congress probably next year, uh, you know, there's a chance for Biden probably to undo some of the executive orders, maybe issue some some of his own. Any thoughts on that? Well, I, I think I think it's I think you're absolutely right. Wrote what they what he could not do, but wanted to do without a plan to replace Obamacare, 
which was to undermine it. And so they've that what the what through the what the executive orders have done is they've made more cumbersome and unwieldy access to uh, Obamacare. Um, they have muddied the water around how people could join plans, and they have undermined uh, and, and the approach and, and made complicated the state's approach to expand Medicaid. It's 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 really been uh, criminally stupid because what's happened is it's it's you know we have when uh, the cost of the uninsured never goes away. It's just paid as a back end tax on all of us because we pay for uncompensated care at a much higher rate. So. I think that the, the the first thing, and there'll be many of them, that the Biden administration needs to do is unwind all those incompetent orders that made access to affordable care, which is the law of the land, uh, more available to people who are at that edge of under or not on insurance. It's it's uh, that's a really good sign, and that's going to really be even more important. You quoted through 2019. Now we're in the midst of pandemic. A lot of people unemployed, a lot of people at the edge of their unemployment benefits. We need to make, make those folks act, make health affordable healthcare accessible to them right now so that they can continue to get the care they need and, and not have more sick people when our hospitals can barely take the people who are, who are currently needing to get in. So John, I agree with you on those executive orders. There's a couple to get rid of right away. Uh, like the ones that allow these sort of short-term junk health plans when they've reduced enrollment periods for the Obamacare exchanges, reducing access to contraceptives. There's a couple that you might want to consider keeping. You know, we're talking about throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Now, there's a, there's a lot of bathwater here is what I, w- I would say. But is there any, <laughs> anything worth, worth keeping of the executive orders? I mean, there's, there's a couple we might not agree with. There's one about the kidneys. There's one about telehealth. You know, I think the most important ones to keep, I mean, one of the things that's remarkable about this administration is how quickly they led uh, the move to, to permit telehealth and tele, telemedicine and sort of forced on the insurance companies and, and demanded from the states more flexibility than has ever happened. And I'm really hoping that those will stay in place because that flexibility um, and access meant an enormous amount to patients. And frankly, I think most of the healthcare system and regulators underestimate how important convenience is for really busy patients and how much how 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 powerful those interactions can be. I mean, we've gone from like two percent to eighty percent back to like 20, 20 plus percent in terms of televisits, depending on the category of care. But I think we could, you know, we, we found recently in some research we did at CareCentrics that two-thirds of people would prefer to get more care directly in the home or whether it's telehealth or direct care than go to a hospital or a doctor's office. And that's some degree affected by COVID. But I think everybody wants more convenient care. And I think that the, the, the kidney care uh, accelerating um, uh, new innovations around kidney care, so there's more access to care in the home, more access to home dialysis, to actually managing people, managing patients who are at risk before they crash uh, uh, into the, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the system um, with, with, where they really need uh, dialysis. And, you know, we can do a much better job and other systems around the world do a much better job in terms of renal care, which is you know titanically expensive to the system. So I think there are some innovations there around providing better access, more choices, and lower cost options for patients that that, that makes some sense. Like the thing, the innovations around at CMS and CMMI have actually been a a, a, a somewhat rare bright spot um, 
and I think we want to keep those in place. I mean, what do you? Which which ones would you keep? Well, well, John, I'm going to partially disagree with you on the telehealth one. I'll give you a kidney, okay? I'll give you one kidney, not two. But on telehealth, you know, it is was sort of necessary, and I'm glad they did it to provide coverage for telehealth. Now, I think there is a need for some research, sound like you're doing some at CareCentrics to say, you know, what makes sense to do with telehealth and what makes sense to do in person when we go back to it? Because the danger is, and one of the reasons why telehealth hasn't been covered up till now, is that you might go on a telehealth visit, which you wait for a little bit. You go on, you get charged, and the doctor says, oh, yeah, and you need to come in and see me, or you need to go to an emergency room. You're just, you're, you're using complexity as a barrier to creativity. I mean, the, the reality is that we have these technologies. Every other sector of the American industry has really prioritized providing more pervasive access and leveraging technology. And healthcare has been, been, been trying to avoid it, as have the regulators, coming up with all these kinds of criticisms. I think if you create flexibility and you create some element of compensation, you're going to be able to connect more frequently to, with patients and have more pervasive monitoring. You're just being unnecessary, an unnecessary stick in the mud here. Unnecess- unnecessary roughness, John. They are playing football. So, uh, you know, I think it's it's right. Although there is this concern about, are you you know, you just adding things on. And I'm going to point on a point a, a pointed stick right at you, John, on the home care front. So, you know, for example, you talk about well, home care. You know, people want to be cared for at home. It's less expensive, and so on and so forth, which is great. But if people have a hospital stay and then they have compensated home care, you know, then you just you just driven up the total costs. I, 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 but you can you can you can solve that by more quickly moving to a value based world. You can solve that by putting putting people providers and and at risk for kind of for solutions where there aren't there it isn't in addition to an admission or readmission. You're just creating a false narrative there. That's fake news. Uh oh. Well, John. Speaking of fake news, you know, the election uh, is over, but the transition, formal transition has not really begun. Is it a big deal that the Trump administration is keeping the Biden people away from doing the formal transition? So I, I think it is a big deal because I think that what it, any delay in the transition of government between two different parties uh, slows down the ability to actually solve problems because people can't get clearances. I think access to information is probably pretty open, but anything that slows down the physical and secure transition to power um, is going to potentially delay the implementation of policies that that I think are just sensible, and particularly in the context of, of a healthcare system that's really suffering in a country that's suffering more because of COVID. I, w- I would I would ask in an, you know just in, a, in an, an abundance of caution that we accelerate versus slow down. And the, as of right now, the GSA hasn't even authorized the uh, access to information security and infrastructure that the Biden team needs. Now, I think the Biden team's about as well qualified. All the people you mentioned have some, or almost all of them, have extensive experience in the federal government and in healthcare. I'm sure they've got teams like that throughout on the transition. But anything that slows us down, we're at a war with COVID. And um, we need to make sure that the, the leaders in that war, uh, the federal government, uh, have the resources they need as quickly as they can to kind of turn turn the tide on this. I, I think it's just crazy. John, the 9-11 Commission specifically called out the problems with the transition as leading to um, you know having blindness about the, the attacks. And any credit that the Trump administration deserves for Operation Warp Speed and getting the vaccines gone is more than erased. Uh, by not having the coordination and having the, the transition, never mind the broader damage that it does, you know, to to democracy. There is a fund set up which I, I contributed to, 
regard for the transition because the uh, federal money is not available. And I think the Biden team is well equipped, but they'd be even much better equipped if they could, in fact, get in there like they're supposed to. So, John, I'm going to end with a question for you. For you, a special question for you, John, which is which is a special one. I saved it. Now, do you think that Biden, President Biden, should let the red states suffer? Are you nuts? He is not a blue state president. He is not a red state president. He's the president of the red, white, and blue United States. No, I think you you will find that he is wired, inspired, and driven by a desire to lead all of all of America and to make sure that not only that we've got great solutions for all states, but also that the solutions that the federal government works on are appropriate so that Wyoming gets what Wyoming needs and and Illinois gets what it needs. No, I think he 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 has shown throughout his career he's a uniter, not a divider. Not like you, David. Okay, John. Well, that's it for yet another edition of Care Talk. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group, and I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of Care Centrics. Thanks for listening.